This is Aliens and Artists Part 2 of our conversation with Diana Walsh Pasolka. Exclusive to patrons and plusers, in this episode we discuss the quest for an anomalous theory of everything. Whether or not deep thought is an oxymoron. Human story structure versus non-human story structure. And since Diana brought up Harvard's Avi Loeb in part one, we revisit a full interview I did with him a couple years back on the habitability of the early universe. But first, Diana, can we explore something we could call smoke and fire? The craft, artifacts, radar returns, trace evidence, data, are like smoke. Whereas the inner life of the non-human entities, their values, culture, motivations, objectives, are the fire. This calls to mind Tyler's life as glimpsed in American Cosmic. There is a degree of remove when we deal with the smoke. There is immediacy, intimacy in dealing with the fire. This correlates a bit to our discussion about mediated versus unmediated gnosis. And I wonder if you feel we should place more focus and energy on going directly into the fire, the interiors, the subjectivity, the intersubjectivity, basically the personhoods behind and within these phenomena. Should we go more into the fire, or are you satisfied with the fire-to-smoke ratio? Okay, that's, that's definitely a, a question that's well put. Like you've described the problem well. Let me think about it. So, okay, I would, I would prefer to call them intelligences because I don't know if there are a variety. I believe there probably are a variety of different types, and that's my that's just my opinion based on what you know people have talked to you and just basically from the traditions also you know the mystical traditions. So I think that I think I'm thinking that it has to be on a case by case basis because what if the you know because a lot of different people have different experiences James didn't have a very good experience at all with what he you know his experience or experiences were not good but they motivate him to try to create some type of ability that, you know, an interface where we can, you know, we can determine instead of they determine, we can determine the conditions of contact. Okay. So he didn't like it that it was on their terms. Tyler's had a different experience altogether. He doesn't have bad experiences you know, experience or experiences at all. They're uplifting, they're ecstatic, and they're inspiring. So they inspire him to do amazing technologies and create patents and things like that. And so if it were all like Tyler's, I would say, let's go directly to the source, right? Let's, let's figure, you know, let's engage with the intelligence because it doesn't seem to be scary and it does seem to be helpful and, you know, make, it makes our lives richer and exciting and things like that. But if I were to talk to James, I would say, heck no, I don't want anything to do with that, you know, intelligence at all. 
that's scary. So does that answer the question? Perfectly. Seems like a nimble discernment to go case by case, given what we know that seems about as deft as it gets. I appreciate the contrast between James and Tyler. And we see this in the experiencer group, in the larger population of abductees, contactees, historically. I don't mean this to be derisive at all, but some people sincerely have encounters that are all love and light, and it starts and stays positive. Other people are going through hell on earth. Yeah. So I share your take that case by case is prudent at this time. So let's talk Jock. His view that the phenomenon is possibly a control system, at least historically, that was his view years ago. If it's changed, please correct me. This view being that the control system of the phenomenon evolves in tandem with humanity, but always a few steps ahead. Under this umbrella would be the idea that the Fae, the Greys, elementals are each nodes in one larger, coherent, morphine mystery. And that we might one day be able to obtain an anomalous theory of everything. Sometimes I have a hard time reconciling that with the advent of modern abductions, the planetary scale of it, the simple infrastructure that's required on behalf of the non-human entities. What I have confusion around is how global, organized, and outcome-oriented the abduction program is. It's pragmatic. It's practical. This level, this order of systems building, if we look for comparisons in human history, this undertaking is colossal. It's an industry. Try to imagine what the logistics are of taking millions of people, millions of times over generations, covertly across the planet, which is being enacted with a great sense of urgency on the behalf of the non-human entities. Do you feel abduction is or is not situated in the more perennial anomalous enigma, the big old one that goes back millennia that Jacques has explicated so well. Is the abduction phenomenon part of that age-old puzzle, or is it a new wrinkle in a very old skin? Right. I think that it's a new wrinkle in a very old skin. In fact, that's what really disturbed me about it when I first started to become aware that this was happening just because I had a lot of, you know, I have a lot of, well, I mean, I researched the Catholic tradition. Once I figured out that stuff was happening today, that was happening a thousand years ago. I was like, Oh my gosh, really? Okay. And I had to, you know, rethink kind of everything. And then let's talk about Jacques and what he, so I don't, speak for Jacques, but I could speak about Jacques, definitely. And what I've learned and what I think about, you know, that question you asked about, about his work. So he thinks of it as a control mechanism, definitely. Um, Is this an old Jacques Vallée idea? Not to my knowledge. I correspond with him all the time. I don't think that he does. I think he's still of the opinion that it's definitely, you know, he just released Trinity with Paolo And let me think here. So I find it interesting. These are the kinds of things I find interesting in terms of what's the latest thinking here. And you can see this also in the work of Paula Harris, too. 
is this change toward which Jacques has always intrigued. You know, the reason why I was intrigued with Jacques' work is that it's it's before its time, really, and it still actually is. So he's looking at it as a sort of technology, okay? And then I want to bring up the work of uh, Stephen J. Dick. Nobody reads his stuff, it seems to me, in ufology, and I don't know why. He's the, quote-unquote, official NASA historian, and he does a lot of writing about cultural implications of extraterrestrial life and discovery of extraterrestrial life and things like that. He's not a ufologist, but his work, you know, he, he's one of the founders of astrobiology. And what's interesting about his work is he writes a lot about, you know, if we meet the, you know, them or whatnot, uh, we're going to be meeting their technology. Okay. So it's, you know, think about us. If we go out and, you know, we're putting out rovers to Mars and things like that. So if there's something on Mars, it's meeting our technology. It's not meeting us yet, but it's meeting our technology, which is in a sense an extension of us. So if we consider that, that it's perhaps, you know, perhaps we're a certain type of technology, but we're unaware of it. And now we're just becoming aware of it. And our relationship with this phenomena is to show us that indeed we are technological. Um, I think that this is interesting. And I've met a lot of people whose work is pretty innovative that believe this too. So, you know, maybe it's waking us up to this fact. Jacques' work has included art. He's written novels. You've been an artist from a young age. You work in film. I'd love to ask you a bit about story structure, human story structure versus non-human story structure. Humans have come to love a beginning, a middle, and an end, a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. The others, the non-human entities, seem to love disjunction, discontinuity, paradox, transrationality, but we both seem to love theater, with a capital T. That seems to be our common ground in the Venn diagram of story. I wonder what you make of the artistry, the story structure of these intelligences, as you called them. Sure. So this is really interesting because a lot of people, after I wrote American Cosmic, pointed out to me that it's a hero's journey. It's a, you know, and I, it wasn't consciously written that way at all, but it actually is. And it begins where it ends, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a circular, so there's a beginning, a middle and an end, but it's, it comes back to the beginning again, which makes it even stranger and more powerful in that sense. Okay. In, in terms of the story. And so as I was on the journey of that book, I was finished before I wrote the last chapter, which is the chapter of Tyler in Rome. And the first chapter is about Tyler. So I had not intended at all to write another chapter about him. And, and I was on my way to Rome to do some research, but it was in Catholic history. So it just so happened that as I, you know, when I got to Rome and I went through the experiences and I realized that this was the last chapter and I had to tell my editor, my book was already late. I had to say, wait, I have a last chapter. And so she was gracious enough to say, okay. 
after that experience, I began to feel as if I was not really in control, right, of what was happening to me and that I was being taught and that the teaching that was being given to me was like the, the Greek muses, right? They were teaching me that this was a hero's journey and that there was something about the hero's journey itself which was sacred, which was almost in and of itself something like the phenomenon. It was the phenomenon. You know, so I begin to kind of decolonize my mind because think about this. Um, it is the case that we, our brains, basically, we project what we know and we try to understand. We, we really can't think, you know, there are things that we can't imagine. And those things we can't actually talk or think about, right? Well, what if those unimaginable things kind of impose themselves upon us? Like, and boom, you know, we're, we're all of a sudden like open to the fact that something new has occurred. Um, I think that that is actual, that we can do that. And I think that what was happening in that research, that intense research, which, which I was open to, because I couldn't really control things that were happening. They were just, you know, it was, I was in a very, um, in a state where I accepted these things and I wrote them as I, as I was experiencing them. So when we think about the beings or the entities or the intelligences, what we call them, I'm beginning to think that we don't know what, you know, this is not how they actually are. Is this how we imagine them to be? Doesn't it seem strange that how we imagine them to be, just like Jacques Vallée points out in Passport to Magonia, happens to be like fairy tales, myths, and now we have this idea of the greys, you know, kind of like a, a, a more modernized version of a fairy, right? So we have these kinds of things. But what if actually... They're way weirder than that. What if they are things like stories, you know, like these, these um, archetypes that Carl Jung tried to point out to us and try to explain what they are, and they're still really difficult to understand. What the heck's an archetype? You know, well, perhaps this, you know, perhaps some of us as artists, academics, what have you, have visits from these things, and they visit us for like a year. and harass us into doing, you know, this book or this story or this painting. And then we finally do it. And then we look at it and it takes us another two years to figure it out, right? What did we do? What was, you know, what happened during that time? What is this thing that was produced? To hear the entire conversation with Diana Walsh Pasolka, especially the good parts, just become a patron or a plus member. Patrons and plusers get a metric fuck ton of extras every month. Full episodes, exclusive to them, to you, if you become thosies. As a patron, you acquire paranormal capacities, like psychometry. Touch any object and obtain full knowledge of its history. Stroke a tiny, shiny shell on the beach and suddenly perceive the memories and emotions of its previous owner. 
Sheila, she lived in a shack by the seashore and she actually sold seashells on a sheet in a shallow shoal. Though she shivered so, she shit the sheet, the sheet she shit, yay on the shitted sheet she shat. Psychometry. Psychometry. Now use your other hand to touch your own other other hand as it touches Sheila's seashell and feel how you felt feeling Sheila's feelings. You're an emotional MC Escher painting because you're a pluser, a patron. Minus listeners get psychometric synesthesia. They merely finger a fork at a Waffle House and are flooded with visual patterns of plaid shirts, sounds of mouth-breathing bumpkins, and fusty, musty fumes wafting from awful waffles. Anyway, if you were a patron or a pluser, in mere moments you would hear Avi Loeb, professor of physics. Does that sound right? Uh, (laughs) from Harvard. Could that be true? Anyway, I hope so, because if this is not that Avi Loeb, some huckster is about to punk our asses on the habitability of the early universe. Someone should tell Avi Loeb that if we wanted to know whether or not the early universe was inhabited, we'd have a patron or a pluser use their psychometry to touch the universe. Then their pineal gland would gush like the Stargate sequence in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and they'd just tell us what they psychometried. Click the link in the show notes to become a patron or a plus or do it, you wastrel! Avi Loeb has some really interesting ideas. He's the chair of astrophysics at Harvard, and he's an important exponent in the search for life beyond our solar system. One of Avi's latest ideas has flipped that search upside down. It says that we humans, and life on Earth for that matter, may be latecomers. Life may have been around for some 13 billion years. I spoke with him about this possibility that the cosmos has been incubating life almost from its inception. So ladies and gentlemen, the man who's done the math is here to tell us all about it. Avi Loeb. Yeah, so um, we've known for almost a century that the universe uh, is expanding and that as you go back in time uh, to earlier times, it was hotter and denser. And in particular, uh, the universe is filled with a background of uh, radiation that emerged from this early hot state. And in fact, this week will be the 50 years.